with every single person that we could get in touch with. Um, we've had numerous Bible studies that have started and failed. Some have been successful. And uh, we completed the year with two baptisms. And I, I'd like to tell you a little story about one of them that really um, provoked our congregation. And um, this gentleman's name was uh, Joseph Howard. Uh, he's a lifetime Methodist out of Rutland, Vermont. And uh, actually a good student of the Bible. And uh, Joe was receiving the House to House Heart to Heart newsletter and uh, was reading it every every time it would arrive at his door he would read it from cover to cover and he just thought that one day he was going to call and so he picked up the phone and he called the congregation and he just said I want to thank you so much for sending me this newsletter. He goes, I I have no transportation. I'm in a senior housing complex. Um, My family rarely visits. I'm exceptionally lonely and uh, and I would just give my right arm to go to church. What you know when someone gives you an, an invitation like that, you know what you're going to do, right? I mean, I told Joe, I said I'll be at your door at eight o'clock on Sunday morning to pick you up, and I drove to Rutland and started picking him up. And on the way from Rutland back to Castleton, we started having conversations about the text and. Uh, and one thing led to another, and so we started a weekly study in Joe's home. Now, the thing that's interesting about Joe, did I say he's 88 years old? We're talking a man who started studying the Bible when he was a child. His mother read him the Bible. And for his 88 years of life, he understood what he thought was right doctrinally with the Bible. And we started to study. But I understood that Joe could not connect the promise that was given to Abraham with Jesus. And the fulfillment of that promise. And so we, we didn't use any uh, tools like the Jewel Miller film system. We just went right to the text. And we kind of skimmed through the text. And I showed them how they connected together. And then we, once we received that, we showed them how the church began through the, with Jesus going to the cross. And then the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And then we talked about the beginning of the church. And at one point, Joe said, I don't think I'm saved. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it, Joe? And he goes, I- I'm not really sure yet. He goes, I just want to think about it because it doesn't match up with what I've been taught. And so, you know, we kept pressing on teaching and teaching the, the Bible. And, uh, and on Christmas Eve morning, Sunday, Joe came up to me and he goes, hey, Kirk, I brought my shorts and T-shirt. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> we had forgotten to plug in our baptistry so the water was about you know 40 degrees so I was thinking about Scott and Michelle if you remember that story last year and um, but anyway so we we scooped out some water ran the hot water heater and got it up to about 90 degrees and we baptized Joe Howard on Christmas Eve morning um, in that hot in the baptistry and um, our congregation was in tears to think that a man 88 years old would choose to be a follower of Christ He's almost to the end of his life, and he, find, he just made a decision that was going to change his entire eternal life. It just um, tore us apart. Well, anyway, i got to segue away because I can't go on too long about him or it'll be worse. <laughs> um, Joe has been faithful. He has not missed a Sunday since he's been baptized. He studies with other people in our congregation, um, and they're encouraging him every day. So if you get a chance and you... Uh, and we'll try to get his address up on Facebook for those of you who follow, so that if you would, send him cards of encouragement, because, um, you know, it's really good. But I will say, at 88, I had to hold him underwater for quite a while. <laughs> so, 
Oh, okay, look, I, I needed some levity. So, so look, um, I got something that's really heavy on my heart. Our, our congregation, you know, we have... Um, you know, we've had a time where we had as many as 46 members. Uh, we've had times where we've dropped down below 30. We've had times where we've been back up at 30. We, we've had additions, and we've had people drop out, and we've had work get in the way. And we've had false teachers in our congregation. And, uh, and it's not been easy to work with that. And uh, so there's been some things that have been heavy on my heart. But the thing I want to start out with is a story about me, but I want you to know that it's not about me. But, you know, I, I have not always been a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until I was 39 years old. I didn't even know there was a God. My parents didn't raise me with God. I didn't know about Christianity. I didn't know about church. I didn't know about any of those things. And at one point in my life, I started to search for God. And I thought, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read the book, The World's Religions. Have you ever seen that, Tim? It has every religion there is in it. And I started reading that book and I said, you know what? I got to go out and I got to find each of these religions and I got to go see what it's all about to see if God's really in those world religions. I read the Koran. I read about Confucius. I read about the New Age movement. And I went out and visited each of those groups. And I never could just get this feeling that God was part of that. But I never understood why. And so... You know, I think I've told the story about being at a New Age meeting where there was a shaman Indian. Have you heard this story? If I have, raise your hand and I'll, I'll shut up. But anyway, so, um, you know, my wife, got Karen, got kind of involved in this thing. And they had um, this idea that people could receive spiritual correction by wearing a bag of rocks. Have you ever seen that? They wear a little leather pouch that's filled with all these stones, and the stones have all these different kinds of sine waves, supposedly, and that it could change you spiritually. I put the bag of rocks on, and it felt like, to me, like a bag of rocks hanging around my neck. I just couldn't get the idea. But I, uh, So I participated. I wanted to see what it was like. We had this shaman Indian. She held this meeting, and, uh, and we're at this meeting, and she's praying to the sun, the moon, the stars. She's praying that the celestial planets would all come into alignment because those things would guide us. You know, I'll be frank, what a bunch of nonsense now, you know, looking back. But, but, but in that moment, you know, it's like, is that really true? And it was a really odd thing because she led us through all these meditations and she burned all these incense and she did all these things that just, you know, I, I wasn't connecting, but it was, I participated because I wanted to see what it was like. I tried to be open. And so I'm sitting in that meeting and at the very end of the meeting, she stops and she says, let's pray. And I, I said to Karen, I said, look out, this is going to be interesting because why would an Indian pray? And she sat down and she um, bowed her head and she professed Jesus. And I looked at Karen and I said, what are we doing here? If this shaman Indian who is a spiritual leader is praying to Jesus, then we better be finding out who Jesus is. And that's what led me on my quest. The next day, Karen went out and bought me an RSV standard Bible. And I started reading that Bible from cover to cover. And I came to Colossians chapter 1. And that text helped me understand something that I never, ever got from any of these groups or any of these religious affiliations. Because it said something about Jesus that most of us don't ever think about. 
well, maybe I shouldn't say most of us, but many don't ever think about it. But there's something about this piece of text, and I'm going to share it with you, which is right up here, so I'm not, it's no surprise, right? So um, here's the thing about this text. It was written by Paul to the Colossae church in which he had never been there. And Colossae is Asia Minor. It's a place near Turkey, and it is uh, an area where... Um, where every Greek form of religion was um, being pronounced and the Roman influences had started to come into it. There was all kinds of idolatry and um, worship of different forms of uh, Gnosticism were beginning to flourish in that area. And Paul was greatly concerned for the Colossae church. And he needed to have a way to express to the Colossae church, to people he had never met, a way to teach them how to refute false doctrine. Isn't that an interesting idea? He had a way. Now look, how many of you have sang the song, and this will be a fun question, raise your hand, Jesus loves me. All right? I want you to think about that song for a second. What is the first thing that you learn when you sing that verse? What does it teach about Jesus? That he loves you, Right? And then where do you learn that information from? So Paul used singing as a way to teach the Colossians a process in which they could refute any false doctrine that comes their way. Mark, are you with me? You know where I'm headed, don't you? So look, I'm going to give you, spill the beans right up front a little bit. If you look at the text and you start in verse 15... Starting from verse 15 through verse 20, this is a spiritual hymn. You know what, if you would, just shut the PowerPoint off, because I think it'll just mess everybody up too far. Scholars talk about this hymn all the time. Um, They use the expression strophe instead of stanza, and a strophe is a set of lyrics that are not rhythmical in nature. So, you know, as song leaders, you always want them to be rhythmical, right? So that it flows well. Well, A strophe isn't designed that way. A strophe is designed for people to chant it. Now, I have searched high and low all over the Internet thinking somebody had to have recorded this chant, but I can't find a single place where the entire thing is on the Internet. So if anybody musical would like to write it, I would appreciate it. But um, Karen's taken a few cracks at it to see if she could chant it. And um, she actually has a somewhat of a chant that will work. But it's broken down into three sections, um, which we could find that slide maybe. You could just jump ahead to the strophes. That would be great. So here they are. This is the way it's laid out. Oops. So if you look, you know, you have... Um, in verse 15 and 16 is the first strophe, and then in uh, the second is 17 and 18, and then it goes 18 to 20. But I just want you to listen to this as I read it to you, and see if you can understand, by understanding that these people in Colossae were being influenced by people who were promoting astrology and universal um, dominion over people and um, and Judaism was also creeping in and um, the development of worshiping um, man-made idols like the Greek gods Jupiter and Artemis and all of those and all um, I can't even think of the field Sibli is another and Gnosticism so if you listen to the text it'll, you might be able to figure out how this works so here's Paul he says 
He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 15. By the way, before I go to 16, I want you to understand something about the word for. When you see the word for, you can use the word actually in its place. Or you can use the word indeed. It's a word of emphasis to say this is connected together. So he says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, do you hear that? All things have been created through him, for him. Just take a moment to think about what he's saying there. He's the literal, the image of the invisible God. And that he's the firstborn of all creation. Nothing occurs before Jesus. And he's not saying creation in the linear sense. He's saying that Jesus is the first as a partaker with the Father in the creation of all things. A partaker. He was there in the moment. Present. In 16, it says, for by him, all things were created. Do you ever think about all things? How about the literal breath that you breathe, the blood that courses through your vein, the ground that you walk on, the gravity that holds you on the planet, the trees, the the carpet you walk on. I mean, he's responsible for the creation of all things. It's an enormous undertaking. The only possible way that that can happen is that he's deity. God in human form present with us in a form that all things were created both in the heavens and on earth. Those things that are visible and those things that are invisible. If you're a worshiper of the stars and you think that the stars control your life and astrologically you're going to win the Powerball because the sun, the moon, and the couple, three stars are all lined up. Those are created things. If you think for a moment that the alignment of the stars controls your whole life, not so. If you're a person who worships the angel world, the spiritual world, the good and the evil, Jesus created that as well. He's in charge of the invisible and the visible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Jesus is in charge. All things have been created through him and for him. Isn't that interesting that he not only are they created through him, but they are created for him. Jesus has a purpose. He has an eternal plan that we cannot forget. And his plan is to bring all mankind back to him, to redeem mankind back to an Eden relationship. And for those that are redeemed to be transformed, to be just like him. And then all of that coming together to honor and glorify the father. All of this is for that purpose. No other. And then in verse 18. Excuse me, 17. He, meaning Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. You know, 
Let's just hope Jesus just doesn't let go. Do you ever think about that? If he was not holding our universe, our planet, the literal atmosphere that we live in, if he just let go, what would it be like? It would just be utter chaos. And all of that stuff is held together by him with great loving arms. You know, we all kind of get hooked into this idea that that God only loves the saved, but I don't believe that's true. I think God loves all, sinner and the saved. He has plans for the saved that he doesn't have for the sinner, but he still loves them all, and he uses the sinner and the saved to execute his plan. But he's holding it all together in this mass that's just enormous. He's also the head of the body of the church and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything you know the passage right when he returns every knee will bow every head will bow to him not one single person living or dead is going to get away without him not being first at a point in life not one He will have first place in everything. It doesn't matter who you worship that's outside of him. It's a waste of your time. In verse 19, it says, For it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. When I read that passage, I thought, what does that mean, the Father's good pleasure that all his fullness would dwell in him? Really what it's saying is, is that God was so pleased to give his fullness over to Christ so that he could reign at his right hand in the creation, in the moment, in the holding together of it all, in the bringing back of mankind to himself. It pleased the Father and the two were one. Pleasure. For it is the Father's good pleasure for that all the fullness of to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And through him, I say things, whether on earth or things in heaven. Have you ever heard of the stars reconciling anyone? Have you ever heard of angels reconciling anyone? Have you ever heard of evilness reconciling anyone? Reconciliation can only come through Christ. Only. When you think of that expression, all things, is there anything left out when the word all is used? Nothing. Not one thing is left out. All things. When I heard this the first time, I literally cried because I couldn't fathom the fact that I could be so easily misled by such simple words that people were using. It was so easy to just fall prey to what they say. But now every day when I hear something, someone talks to me about some sort of angelic being or somebody wants to talk to me about Satan or devil worship or or they want to talk to me about Mother Earth concepts. I'm like, why? Where will it get you? There's no reconciliation in all of that. It won't change your life, but Jesus... In just a few simple words could change your entire life. Not just in the moment, but eternally. 
I wish I could sing this song. All I can do is try to memorize the passages so that they're at the tip of my tongue. When you're with your friends or your family and they're talking about all of these things, you tell them you know somebody who's been down that road and it's all nonsense, every bit of it. There's only one God. And there's only one creator, and that's Jesus Christ. And every man needs to confess his name and every woman. Let's stand and sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 645 If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.